Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm still gonna complain. This is being recorded. <laughs> is it going to be alright? Hello and welcome to All Through a Land. This is a podcast about film photography where we discuss a little more than just film photography. I'm Banya. And I'm Eric. And on this episode, we're talking to Angel O'Brien, that's 5 by 7 Angel on Instagram, about her strange and beautiful self-portrait and collage work. We'll also be taking a long look at how Kodak advertised to women over a century ago. Did they start a revolution or were they just along for the ride? Want a bit of advice? Well, Vanya's on call for that. We've got the answering machine, zine reviews, some recommendations, and a whole slew of fun. A slew of fun, Vanya. Ooh, slewy. <laughs> it's out. But first, how the hell are you? How the hell am I? Oh, gosh. I am exhausted and tired and sleepy, which I think is all the same thing. Um, it can be. We're having a bit of a like heat wave. It's fucking hot outside. It's too hot right now it's too but, hot okay how hot is this is february for those who don't know but how, how uh how hot is too hot well today it was um 86 degrees wow that sucks i'm so sorry <laughs> so yeah it was pretty fucking hot uh the sun was out so i've been fucking around with cyanotype still ever since we did the dev party I kind of have been excited and just doing a couple, you know, when I'm doing other things, just leave it out in the sun and see how it goes. I've also been taking super long exposures with the Century Graphic in my living room. Uh, there's not really much light. So I've been using the Ortholitho mm -hmm. and just using that new lens, taking the lens cap off for 5, 10, 25 seconds. And oh, then nice. That's it. And then uh, developing it, tray developing it, in retro special in my dark room and then drying it and then making a cyanotype print with it. <laughs> you're, you're developing ortholitho film in retro special? Yeah. Why? How? I don't know, but the retro special is six or seven months old okay. and it should be thrown away. But every time I go into the dark room to like get all my chemicals ready, I'm like, oh, I don't want to like make anything right now. Where's my HC 110? I don't know. So I'm like, oh, I'll just try this and see what happens. So I pre-soaked it and put it in there for about five minutes, 30 seconds. And there was, there was a, <laughs> it worked. So I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. So Bizarre. I've been using that. <laughs> but then you're making cyanotypes with it? Yes. That's really cool. The dev party that we just did with the cyanotypes, we've been getting a lot of feedback on that. People seem yeah. to, to genuinely not dislike our last dev party. And that's pretty cool. I have been doing something a little bit fun this weekend or fun this week with the cyanotypes as well. Uh, I've been just leaving them out in the sun for like 15, 20, 30 minutes, which is kind of like too long. Right. But because it's ortholitho, it, there is no <laughs> dynamic range. It's, it's just black and white. There's very little like gradient to it right yeah uh, so it's very dramatic and it's like this rich blue it it's almost like velvety on on watercolor paper it's absolutely stunning gorgeous it's it's just rich if that <laughs> makes yeah, any sense no, I, I get what you're saying <laughs> so i haven't i haven't seen any of these yet yeah, I'll I feel a little you. left out i'm sorry but no, that's okay. yeah so that's kind of like really it I, i've been 
working from, I mean, I work from home, so working from home, but then also trying to do little side projects like all throughout the day, something to do with photography. Oh shit. Sure. One last thing. Oh, what? The vulva is back. <laughs> the Volvo. Nice. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yes. I bet. It's New been clutch. two years. About, okay, crazy. I went, okay, I picked it up. I went to get a car wash and I wanted to get a cup of coffee. There was not a single mask in the car. It was a pre-pandemic car. There was zero masks, like, cause there's always a mask in your car, you, you know. Of course. By now we all have like had to stash a few random places so we never not have one. Of course. There was nothing. <laughs> Wow. Nothing in there. It was crazy. That went into the shop shortly after we started talking. Yep. Like shortly after we became friends. Yeah, I I kind of had a feeling that you just didn't believe me that I had a Volvo. But I mean, I, I, I don't know. People lie about a lot of weird shit, so... <laughs> You know, maybe big old liar, but yeah, so Volvo's back, a uh, new clutch. It's a little punchy. Uh, not going to lie. I, I stalled out like three times the first day, <laughs> but I'm just like used to like being able to like pull maybe like half, half of it out. And yeah. now it's almost like all you have to pull it all the way out and it just like, it's just really punchy. So oh, I, okay. I got to just get used to it. It's, it's a brand new clutch. Um, yeah. It hauls ass at 60 miles per hour, and uh, it does something new. He fixed something. <laughs> when you put the key into the uh, driver's side door to lock and unlock, it unlocks all of the doors, except the passenger side, because I'm assuming that one's still broken. That's not fixing things. It's <laughs> not what fixing things is. I don't know why it does that now, but it never did that before. <laughs> okay, well... <laughs> Yeah. It's like on its a, own like hydraulic system. I don't know what's going on, but eh, I'll take it. It's cool. Okay. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. All right. What have you been up to? Uh, well, I, this past weekend, I went on my, I want to call it my first photo walk, though I guess it's not technically my first photo walk because you and I did one in, in San Francisco. True. But it's my first Seattle photo walk. And, you know, me, anybody who's listened to this for a little while knows that I'm a little suspicious, I guess, of photo walks. What's my place in them? What am I going to shoot? Why would I go onto one? Why would I do this? Why would anybody do this? Why would anyone go on a photo walk with 20 other photographers? <laughs> and I, I don't think I have any of the answers to that. So we all met at a cafe, which I guess is is fairly normal for, for photo walks. And there were maybe 20 people and like like three whole women showed up. Hmm. It was kind of impressive. We did, oh, I don't know, a couple of miles. They shot a lot. Well, they walked a lot faster than I walked. Let's put it that way. I'm a, a slow shooter, I, apparently. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I'm really not doing it justice and I'm making it sound like it was a horrible time. Yeah, it was I not a horrible time. It was a really fun time. The people I met were really interesting and good photographers. Uh, it was one of those events where it was 90% 35 millimeter SLRs and then like two weirdo cameras. And so one of the weirdo cameras was my Mamiya RB67 and the other weirdo camera was this... Roloflex 35 millimeter SLR that has like a re removable back on it. 
I forget the name of them. It was a weird ass looking camera. They're usually in black. I've never seen one that wasn't black. This one was kind of either white or like light gray. Hmm. And it was amazing. And, and you know, that's that's kind of it. I've, I've developed my photos from it. And I don't know. It was a weird thing because I didn't want, like, I didn't like, I didn't set out saying, I'm going to take pictures of this. So I'm going to go here and take pictures of that. Like I normally do, you know, you know, you're on a, you give yourself a little assignment, you know, you go and you shoot that. I didn't do that. So I just shot three random rolls of random things. And so about half the photos are throwaways and the other half are okay. I know a lot of people say they go on photo walks just to hang out and talk about cameras. And I think I get that <laughs> because there's not a lot to shoot on a photo walk for me. I'm not sure if some photo walks do this or I'm just making this up, okay. but there should be some sort of scavenger hunt. What do you, what do you mean? Like they've hidden things around the city? That not exactly, find? but like certain, you know, like giving yourself an assignment. So oh, okay. part of the photo walk, there's like a couple things that, you know, you're, you should, whatever, a couple words that this picture resembles this word or whatever, something like that, where you have kind of like a group effort with it. And then the next time you guys get together, you can like share those photos. I don't know. I, I that's kind of how I would like to do it. Okay. No, I like the idea, I guess. Uh, do I? It's some, it really sounds like something I wouldn't do, to be honest. Yours is so annoying sometimes. No, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> because I, you're almost agreed with me. And then you're like, wait a minute. I can't agree with her. No. Well, no. Here's, here's the thing. Do this. See what I deal with you I guys? I agree that people would enjoy that. Yeah. But I am not one of those people. Okay. Obviously, you are like you don't have to do it like you're not gonna be fired or like can't come and be invited anymore if you don't do the assignment I'm just saying as an extra like hey if you guys are feeling maybe not sure what to shoot we have a couple ideas that we're gonna that uh, some of us are gonna probably try to run through and shoot and you can do that or you can do Nothing, you know, whatever. No, if I were organizing this, my biggest fear and the, the my my anxiety would be built and revolve completely around the idea that nobody would want to do those ideas. I would do them. Well, that you you would be part of the organization putting it on. So So I don't yeah. count? Well, it's your idea. So, <laughs> you know, not quite the same. I would just be afraid that nobody would like it and go, what the fuck are you talking about? Why would you, why would we want to shoot that or shoot that way or whatever? Everybody has their own style. But of that's course. the fun part because just because there is a specific thing you're supposed to be shooting doesn't mean that it's going to be the same for everybody. No, of course uh, You not. get to see other people's like creative side. And then also maybe there's something on that list that people – that someone – is having trouble with and you're talking with them like, Oh yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. And I don't know. It just seems like conversation and, you know, you can get into a group and um, kind of like help each other out a little bit. I yeah. Think I think there was a bit of that. It was put on by someone, uh, Salvador, who was his first photo walk. And neat. I'm definitely not dissing it. It was a, it was a fun time. It was a good time. I had a good time. Good. Uh, especially coming, this is coming from somebody who never has any desire to go on a photo walk. And I uh, still don't. Yeah. But this I is, had a good time. This is someone who 
is going to maybe go to the all through a lens photo walk, but Brandy and me are going to put it on because you that's, didn't want to do it. <laughs> 100% fine. 100% fine. Now, we, um, I went with, there were a couple of perks. I went with Sarah Leopold, knee Subblefield, mm. and we treated ourselves to vegan donuts. Oh, yeah. You said new place, right? Walk. It was a new place. And there was very, very little, almost no line. There was like a regular line, two people in front of us or something. And we got a dozen and split them up. Well, she got a dozen. I'm not going to pretend like I paid for these. And then we gave them, you know, she gave them to the uh, some of the people at the event. Oh, cool. Which is a really nice way to say, hey. I have donuts. Well, hello. It, it, ha- having donuts is a great way to say, hey, I have donuts. Yeah. I remember as a kid, um, for a second there, my like, mom was going to church because my stepdad is like religious and I was like oh I hope they have donuts because they would always bring like little donut holes and just be hovering over there (laughs) it'd be awesome if they had donuts for communion take eat this is my donut perfect sounds amazing it does sound amazing I also went to the library the Seattle like the main the central library for the mm. first time. And you haven't seen my pictures from that yet. I just, I developed them and I scanned them, but they're still on my other hard drive and I have to move them over and then I'll show them to you. And honestly, I, because of COVID, I guess, most of the floors, it's 10 floors, weren't open. Oh, weird. And so it was sort of a weird vibe and like the security guards came up to us and they kind of like, I was trying to take a picture and they were kind of looking at me and they got a little closer and, I was like, oh God, why? Why is it you, you just have to hassle me? What is that? And he came up to me and he said, look at those cameras. I haven't seen cameras like that in years. Oh, that's lovely. And so he was very happy with the camera. She was shooting a, a roll of flex and I was shooting the RB. Neat. And they look like old cameras. You know, they look like, you know, not the most ancient cameras in the world, but they look classic. And oh. so that was pretty cool. She took the, that's a six by six, right? Square she format did, yeah. First, yeah. Uh, for the photo walk. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, she mostly shoots six by six, so. Oh, yeah. okay. Oh, yeah, Hasselblad too. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I mentioned to you that there's a, there's, you know, a downtown library in Los Angeles and I've there never is. been to it and I really, really want to go so badly. Um, so maybe after I see your pictures, I'll get excited and want to go. <laughs> I hope so. I would like to do something. I don't know how much we want to get into. I think we'll get, we'll save that for a later segment. Cause I have something I want to talk about with the library, but once our library opens up more, I mm-hmm. definitely want to explore it a little bit more. Yeah. They're called libraries, by the way. Libraries? Yeah. It's lie and then berry. Oh, was I saying library? Was I pronouncing it wrong? Yeah. You're pronouncing it wrong. Oh shit. I'm so sorry. I sound so dumb now. <laughs> So, Vanya, when did you get your first answering machine? Um, never. You've never had your own answering machine? No. Uh, we, I mean, we had one growing up at my parents' house, but when I oh, moved okay. out, I moved out of my parents' house in 2001-ish. Okay. So, by that time, we just, like, I didn't, I was like, okay, I can't really afford to have a landline. And so then I was like, I guess I'll, like, have to be part of the cool people club and get a, a cell phone. Oh, so I got okay. like a little Nokia from Singular. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody had that. That, that was the card. The shit. Did you have an outgoing message? Yes. 
And was it interesting or was it just the stock message? Always, always interesting. And my parents' house, we would do that all the time. Me and my sister would like put music on or... Oh, perfect. So this is the segment of the show where we check our answering machine. Mm. And what was the question this time around? How do you stop yourself from taking the same pictures over and over? Now, we've got a number of wonderful answers, but going back to the first answering machine that I had on my own, that was when I went to college for a few months, and <laughs> I commandeered my roommate's answering machine, so I guess it wasn't mine, but, you know, kind of was. And this was my outgoing message, and we will begin shortly after that. Push the button. My baby, how big you'll be in a very little while. You'll be going to school and you won't want your daddy then, will you, darling? Oh, I wish you could be my baby all the time. I wonder what the future holds. I don't stop myself from taking the same pictures over and over again because there's always going to be some kind of change and the light itself can make it different. Look at the work of Joel Meyerowitz in his book, Cape Light. He repeatedly has uh, the same composition over and over again, and it changes drastically depending on the conditions. So I try to take that approach instead of trying to make something new and original every time. This is Jamie Maldonado. Jamie's been doing some fun things lately, and I've... He's... Seems like he... I don't know. It just... He seems like he's photographing constantly. <laughs> I don't know how he does it. Well, he is the hardest working man in film photography. True. You're right. But he's doing some really unique stuff. I feel bad because I should probably message like, hey, like you're kind of kicking ass. But I, I should do that more often. Well, why don't, you, why don't you just tell him here? Jamie, you keep doing what you're doing because you're kicking ass. Now, as far as Meyerowitz, I'm not incredibly familiar with Joel Meyerowitz, but I think... I think I know what Jamie's talking about, and it's you know taking the same the same photo or taking the same scene over and over. And I th think now I have the I have the luxury of listening to these before uh, before we record, and I think we're going to see a theme emerge here where people are saying that they that they're okay with shooting the same photo over and over, and then then they go on and explain how they're not actually doing that. And I think that's interesting because what Jamie is saying is, yeah, take the same scene over and over, but look how it changes. And that way you're not taking the same photo over and over. Mm -hmm. It's it, a different photo. It's very much like how the ocean responds. Like every day it's, it could be different. The, the swell is different. The, yeah. the wave, you know, everything, the sky, yeah. the clouds, uh, it's constantly changing day by day. So, yeah, I, I, I get what he's saying. Hi, you two. Marius here. I actually do take my, uh, some pictures over and over again. Sometimes intentional, sometimes not really. But the times I do, it's often with a different camera or a different film or for a different reason because the time of day is different, the time of year is different, and it made the subject maybe looks different. Um and yeah, also don't mind the ticking in the background. I'm just exposing some cyanotypes. See ya. Little, little, uh. Cyanotype week in the middle yeah, of winter. It is. It's, it must be that time, that time <laughs> of year. No, it's winter. It's not that time of year. But again, uh, with the same idea, mm -hmm. uh, he's taking it a little bit farther, I think, with like, well, you can take the same scene with different cameras and different film. 
And that, that's great, but it's not taking the same picture then, is it? Mm, yes. Because if you're standing in the same spot and taking the picture, whether it's square, format, 35 millimeter, it's the same picture, the same scene, but it's a different day. I, I think we, I don't think we explained ourselves very well. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, there's a surprise. So my thought was, I take a lot of photos of grasslands and like, you know, my thing is old shit, cool skies. How can I do that in different ways each time or several different ways so that it doesn't look like all my pictures are the fucking same? And with you, you shoot the ocean. You're in the ocean shooting. How can you do that in different ways so that your photos from one year to the next don't look the same as every other photo? That's the question. And I think they're answering it in certain roundabout ways. Hi, Vanya and Eric. This is Lars Bunch. I've always hated repeating myself, so I guess I'm naturally reluctant to shoot a composition I've shot before. I'd rather shoot nothing than waste time or film on something I've already done. But I have a thing for bridges, and even when I tell myself I'm going to shoot some other subject for a change, some days I just still find myself at the foot of a bridge looking up at it thinking, you know, that'd make a really nice picture. I don't know. Maybe I need to branch out and start shooting via ducks. Love the podcast. Bye. (sighs) That's a good example, too. I, I love taking pictures of bridges, but at some point... You're just like, oh God, another fucking bridge. But they're all different. <laughs> they, they are all different, but they're all also the same. It's a span. Yeah, I guess Across so. some sort of shallow or deep chasm. How do you do that differently? And that's really what we're asking. How do you, how do, you do that differently? Well, if he's standing at the foot of it, maybe he should stand on the top of it. Get yeah, a different right. perspective. Sure. I think that's it. I think that's, that was part of it. Different perspectives. Or get a friend that has a helicopter and <laughs> take an aerial shot of it. Well, I'm not talking about bridges specifically here. <laughs> or no, bungee jump though. off the bridge and then take a shot while, you, while you're falling off the bridge. See? I but, gave you but, three ideas. Lars, go. But an aerial isn't a bad idea, though. That's I was. We talked about her last episode, Terry Evans, who does a lot of the, who did a lot of the Kansas photos. Mm-hmm. She shot the prairie in so many different ways, and then decided, like, well, there's a beauty to this that I'm missing. Let me get into a, an airplane and take some aerial shots of it and see the differences there. So she's still shooting the same scenes, but from a very different perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's something, I mean, obviously we can't all just go up in an airplane or hot air balloon or, you know, look at your blimp, but we can maybe use it as a, as like a mental springboard onto different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Hi, Ralph Brandy. There is no cat everywhere. So in a way I do, in a way I don't. I shoot the same subjects a lot and I use it as a way of testing new films, uh, new cameras, new processes. It's a way of finding, well, what does this camera do to this scene? I am shooting the same picture, but I guess I'm changing up the way I shoot it. The other thing that changes uh, the pictures is time. So, like, there's a tiki hut that I take pictures of, and it has had a lot of stuff added to it over the years. And so it's the same picture, but it's not the same picture. It's like they say, you can never step in the same river twice. Well, he, yeah, he was talking about tests, you know, using a, an, a, an identical scene or the same scene over and over to test cameras, f- uh, film or whatever. And I do that too. I have a test chicken. Mm-hmm. If you've seen 
Well, let me think. It used to be the Ansco zine that I did, the Ansco book or whatever that I did. Mm-hmm. The test chicken. Ooh, is it that one? It might be the second one. The one that's coming out, I think, has the test chicken in it. Nice. And so it's a, it's a, my neighbor has a ceramic chicken in like a little basket. Like a little, is it in a basket? Yeah, a little basket with like a, a wooden wheelbarrow thing, right? It is like a wheelbarrow. It's, it's the test chicken. Yeah. And, Everybody needs a test chicken. And one of the reasons I use the test chicken is because there are very dark spots in that scene and also very, very white spots in that scene. And so you do get the whole range. So you can know, am I blowing this out? Am I losing shadow detail? It's really a perfect scene to test film and cameras and all of that on. And so for those, you need to shoot those almost identically to really test. That's smart. Yes. Well, thank you. I'm a smart guy sometimes. Hey, Eric and Vanya. This is Jaya. So uh, when I find myself taking photos of the same things over and over and over again, I find the best way for me to stop myself from doing that is to put it all together in a zine. Seems to be a really good way for me to draw a line under that subject and uh, finish it off. I think that's a great way, honestly, to, to do it. If you are afraid about taking the same pictures, you know, take them mm-hmm. and then cut yourself off. Say, okay, I'm done taking this. I guess it's more of themes, you know, if I'm doing, which I did one on, on like cars in his, in his, on his walks in his neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And then he published a zine about it. And I would assume he's more or less done with that. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. he's moved on now. Yeah. Like it was he can a, move on. It was a project and then he finished it and now he has a new project. Exactly. Hey, this is Neil, xnedsky on Instagram. So how do I stop myself from taking the same pictures over and over? Well, I don't. I'll shoot the same building, the same park, the same people again and again. As I've got older, I've watched my neighborhood change. The funky old house that I took a hundred pictures of is gone. It's been replaced by some ugly-ass expensive townhome. Buildings age and weather. Uh, landscapes change with seasons and uh, over time and people and pets grow older and unfortunately they die so it's important to have those photos to have like a time series of how time changes things you don't have to show those photos the repetitive photos that you've taken again and again but by all means keep taking them I think I want Neil to read me a bedtime story because he just has like this super like soothing voice <laughs> and everything he said, I was like, yes, yes, I agree. <laughs> he could be saying literally anything yeah. and you'd be on board. Absolutely. I don't disagree with him though. I, I don't either. I think a lot of pictures that we think are impressive are impressive because of how much change has passed from when that picture was taken and you know what the place looks like now. A lot of things. And as mundane and boring you think your neighborhood is, as decades go by, things change and prices skyrocket and you can't afford and people start tearing down houses and building god-awful McMansions. But it's just part of uh, the progress, I guess. Yay. Yeah, and I like the idea of taking them and keeping them for yourself. They're reference photos for you. But also, I I share a little bit. I take, well, today in recording time, I've shared three different versions of the same exact photo that I taught, that that I, uh, that I shared today. 
It was a photo uh, taken with the shamani of, of the wall with all the vines over it, the really wet wall with a reflection. Mm. Uh, people seemed to like it, so that was nice. So I put up th- uh, two other versions of it. Is that the one that I told you to shoot? Um, that doesn't narrow it down, but I would probably would have shot it anyway. I don't know. I it think was, I told I was you to shooting. shoot that wall. You're like, I don't know what to do with the scene. I was like, uh, shoot that. <laughs> okay, you that yeah that that does that does come into mind. I think I don't know if. I'm just giving myself credit. It's okay. Yeah, I'm not sure I totally like stole your idea or anything. No, I, I gave it to you. I told you to do it. But it was it was a scene where I wasn't sure how to shoot it. And then I did this. I just ended up shooting it. And I, at your encouragement. And I do appreciate that. I shot it a few different ways. And I, posed, I shot three shots with like different emulsions and different ISOs. And I posted all three of those on, on my Instagram stories today. And... I don't know. It's kind of interesting. I like that variations on a theme. Mm-hmm. You know, I really enjoy that. And, you know, I'm not sure if that's exactly what Neil was talking about, but in that way, yeah, I, I did shoot the same photo over and over. And I'm not going to go back there and shoot it again, because I think we do need to realize that maybe there are no other pictures there. Mm. You know, when you when you go to a place and you shoot it and returning to it, you find like, well, there's nothing else I can say about this place. Well, unless, I mean, if it hasn't changed, but... Even if it has sometimes. Time deteriorates and things weather and things get old and mm-hmm. there could be a fence around it. There could be overgrown grass. And then you're like, oh my God, overgrown grass. Oh no, look at amazing, badass sky. <gasps> Gotta shoot it. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, let's just go on to the last one. Hey there, uh, this is Alan of Alan Being Alan. I don't try to not take the same picture over and over again. I do take the same picture over and over again. I believe in it. I believe in my obsession. So, you know, as I think you guys do too. I mean, Vanya's shooting that same pier over and over again, and Eric's shooting the same, well, what looked like the same grasslands over and over again. I mean, sure, there's variations, but, but the thing that is consistent is the obsession. And uh, I'm going to go deep on my obsession. I agree that I do that. But I also think that's the reason I asked this question. (laughs) So, yeah, I have clearly embraced my obsession to the point where I'm going, maybe I need to back off a little bit or try to figure out a different way. You have, though. You have been. I mean, you went I mean, on a photo been... walk. You've been shooting okay. your city. You've been yeah. shooting in the wintertime. That is all true. So there, th- you've you've changed and you've grown a lot since, you know, for the in the past two years. That's true. That and is very true. Maybe it's just you're upset. You're more obsessed about more things, which is okay. I agree with Alan. I'm I'm just gonna take my obsession to the extreme. It makes me happy. It brings me joy. I love to see the difference in the day. I like to make force myself to be creative and, and try to get a different picture out of the same scene. All those things I think are important for your brain. And, you know, for if you love photography, then your happiness, right? Yeah, I totally agree with that. I guess my question would be, 
if people look at my photos on, on as a whole and look at all oh, those the grassland photos, I, I, but also not one grassland, probably about a dozen different ones, which is also sort of, sort of the problem there, isn't it? If people can look at my photos and go, oh, this again, <laughs> even though I'm shooting literally all across the West, different houses, different schools, different lots of land, different grasses, different skies, different roads. But if they can look at it and go, what else you got? No, it's, I don't think it's, he means it like that. You have an no, aesthetic. No, I know he doesn't, I know he doesn't mean it that way. You have an aesthetic, but, you have a style and that's your style. But when does the style become repetitive and detrimental to you? When does it start working against you? I guess when all your songs sound the same. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that's true. But and, and is is that happening to me? That's what I want to know. I don't think. And so. how do I make it not? You're you're gonna try to change the way that you you take a scene in, and and you yeah. have. You know, you've you've dropped lower. You've changed you you changed your your eye of sight. Um, I have. You've, you've, you do lots of different things all the time. Yeah, and I think I think it's good to allow yourself to be influenced. Yeah. Like you, me, me shooting low is because of you. Now it's also because I shoot an RB67 and I'm five four, so I can't help but shoot low. But I mean, shooting, shooting lower, <laughs> shooting lower than that, like by my knees, you know, which um, isn't that much lower, but it's enough. <laughs> I have a kind of. It's a funny story now, but I'm sure Eric like, was not happy with me. Uh, we went to Curlew. And it was 4th of July and I was kind of like missing my, my daughter a little bit. Like, cause the year before we like did sparklers together and like lit fireworks and it was, it was fun. You were, you were a sad sack that day. And I like was crying <laughs> in the yes, car. This is true. <laughs> He's like, this place is amazing. It's so beautiful. And I'm just like crying in the car. Like, <laughs> It's just and, and grass. not because it was so beautiful. It's just grass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did see a snake and I tried to give a cow an apple and he was, he did not, he did not need it. No, cow, cows don't want your apples. Yeah. I need to push myself out of my comfort zones because I fear that when you develop a style, what you're actually doing along with developing a style and, a, and, a, and an aesthetic is you are becoming a little lazy or have the potential to becoming a little lazy and you're finding a, a little bubble for yourself to hang out in. And I your don't- comfort zone. Yeah, that's your comfort zone. And there's nothing wrong with being in your comfort zone. I mean, it's comfortable. But I think if you start fearing that like, well, maybe my photos are kind of looking a little samey, you really need to figure out what to do. And what I've done is I've gotten a different lens. Uh, that's the Graflex lens. I've had it for about a year, but I haven't really shot a ton of stuff with it. Uh, maybe some different emulsions. While still you know, being able to fall back on your, on your old standard, which for me is FOMO 100. I think allowing yourself to be influenced by photographers that you know, like you, and also photographers that you're just learning about, like, like dead photographers or, or photographers with books or just photographers on Instagram. You don't really know. And allowing yourself to be influenced by their photos. And those are, I think that's important, though I do think being influenced by photographers you know and can talk to and talk things through about. Like there's several photographers now that 
I talk to on a regular basis about my photography and it's helped me a lot. I'm, I feel um, it is a two-way street because they're doing the same thing. But I think that's so much more important than just finding like the coolest photo book and aping their style. So yeah, I guess for me, the, the answer for that is turn to friends. I think that has something to do with your personality as well. I think that you oh, are yeah. pretty... You're on a schedule. Everything is very like regiment in your life. So I could True. see how you get into these um, cycles of, okay, I'm going to go to Eastern Washington and do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do, you know. And so after a while, it's like you might feel like it's the same, but you still are shooting different things when you're out there. Yeah. And and maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm going to give you a scavenger. <laughs> I'm going to give you a scavenger hunt. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to help well, you. No, that was an idea we had. Before the pandemic set in, we were going to have all through a lens on assignment. Right? Yes. Remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. And it was that. you telling me a place to go and mm -hmm. maybe a little bit of a scavenger hunt, as you say. Mm -hmm. And I would tell you a place to go, the little scavenger hunt. And we would return and talk to each other about what we shot and how we how we feel about it and how we pushed ourselves or whatever. Of course, with the pandemic, that, that has been shit canned. But I would like to get it back when things are maybe a little bit better, which, yeah. you know. You know where I'm going to make you go. I don't, actually. Really? You don't know. No. Not Eastern Washington. <laughs> oh, God, the fucking ocean? <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, or Canada. There. I made him get a passport. You didn't during the make pandemic, me get too. a passport. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I bugged you about it until you got one. So uh, I want to go to Canada to shoot things in Canada that look like the things I shoot in America. <laughs> such a dork. Ay, ay, ay. And by the way, I've been shooting with Alan. We went to San Pedro twice. Oh my gosh. It's been so much fun to just shoot with someone new. He's He is a pleasure to be around and... We can meet up somewhere and he just goes and does his thing and I go and do my thing. And then we just kind of beat back up after we got our shots. It's excellent. And he climbed up on top of my van and wasn't scared. Impossible. <laughs> he did it. It was pretty cool. How tall is he? Uh, like 20 feet tall. <laughs> I think he's really that's tall. That's why. See, that's the thing. <laughs> he's really, that's really tall. I, I, I don't know how tall he is, but he's pretty tall. Makes sense. It all just makes sense now. We did come up with our new question, and I think this one's going to be good, too. I think we're both stuck on it. We kept coming to it like, God, this is a good question. I think it is. So our next question is, what? Which camera do you regret getting rid of? Ooh, the 1970 Ooh. Volkswagen bus. That is not a camera. Unless, it was it a pinhole? Uh, it, had, it had a lot of holes in it. See, you could have made it a pinhole. It could have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Just a, a little bit of free rest. Oh, now I'm thinking I should do that to my Volvo. Hello, and I would like to introduce to you a new segment that we are calling solicited advice. The idea is that you, for some reason, trust us, in, in particular, Vanya, because why wouldn't you? And maybe you have 
a question or two or some query or something you've always wondered. And your initial answer is, I bet Vanya would know that. So we, we put the call out and uh, we, we did get a response. Are, uh, Vanya, are you, are you ready to, to give your solicited advice? I am. Okay. Let's do this. And just a reminder, uh, unsolicited advice is never an okay thing to do. Solicited <laughs> advice is, well, we, we hope it's okay. <laughs> okay. Our first request for solicited advice comes from Joseph C. Griffin, who is joe.c.griff on Instagram. And he writes, hey, you two. I'm doing my best Joseph C. Griffin impression right now. Okay. Hey, you two. I need your help, or maybe just a rousing pep talk. I have a sizable backlog of film that needs to get developed. I'm sure I can't be the only one that's had this problem. Most are recent, but a decent amount are even years old since they were exposed. Oh, no. <laughs> any, <clears throat> sorry, any advice for getting the gumption and actually coming up with a plan of attack for getting my latent images out of film purgatory? I keep telling myself, I'll just plan a marathon day and develop as much as I can. Alas, life always seems to get in the way. Help me, please. P.S. Love the show. Sylvania, if you were Joseph C. Griffin, how would you take care of this bit of a backlog? Well, uh, we've all been there, I think. We've all had a big backlog. And yeah, of course, saying a marathon day to to develop all would be amazing, but we not not everybody has that kind of time and that never happens. So I would suggest dope. Dope? Really? Yes. Oh, what is dope? Well, dope is delegate, organize, prioritize, and energize. <laughs> that is dope. Let's break it down a little bit. Okay, so delegate how many roles is too too much, you know? Maybe some really important ones that you just really want to see, maybe send out a couple, lighten the load, okay? Organize, separate color and black and white, maybe by year and dates, maybe by camera. There's several ways you can organize your film. It'll give you a better idea of what chemicals you're going to need. <laughs> Prioritize, go for the one you are most intrigued to see. Sometimes when I develop a role, it just doesn't really turn out the way that I expected it or I messed up, something happens and I will end up developing another. Eric and I kind of both do that and we call it needing that win because you, you want to kind of end your developing session on a positive note. Energize, coffee, obviously, iced, however you want to do it, tea, uh, sometimes a short walk to kind of just like get your body moving really like motivates me to do more throughout the day. Uh, listening to music or a podcast, I, I have a few <laughs> that I can think of would be good. Keeping your brain stimulated kind of wards off the tiredness feelings. And then a bonus is uh, goals. Set many goals that you can achieve, like maybe two rolls a week. It's not much, but it's more than you've been doing, right? So maybe develop on Friday or Saturday and just try to have them scan before Monday. It sounds great. So again, what's dope? Dope. Delegate. Organize. Prioritize. Energize. 
and then G. Yeah. yeah. You know, I'm really bummed that because now it's like Dela. I would like it to say like Dela guys. <laughs> Dela Del- guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. That that does that does that's a lot clearer. Yeah. 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 So yes, Dela guys. So um, don't forget, you guys, you're dope. Well, thank you, Joseph C. Griffin. We do appreciate your uh, your your question. Hopefully, that was some answer uh, or something for everybody else. Or, or I guess Joseph again. If you have any other. Ideas, questions, uh, queries, problems. We, we, Vanya specifically, are here for you. Ask her for her solicited advice. When we first saw Angel O'Brien's work, we didn't really know what to do with it. What were we looking at? It's a collage but built around her self-portraits. And those self-portraits, they weren't really part of logical reality. They're all shifted and distorted, discolored and bent, but it all seems to be coming from a very centered place. Here is a photographer who is at once accessible and completely unreachable. So let's reach out to Angel and see what happens. Hey there. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm uh, I'm sitting in my car at the the car charging place because uh, my my house is pretty little and uh, the only quiet place is my dark room, but that's in the basement and I get almost no reception <laughs> down there for my Wi-Fi. So. <laughs> well, first, thank you so much for coming on. We really do appreciate that. Yes. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for asking me. Well, of course. How could we not? <laughs> and so we'll we'll start with. You know, obviously, you do a lot of self portraits, but you're more than a self portrait artist. For much of your work, your body is either the subject or it's heavily involved. So, how did you start taking self portraits? The first self portrait that I ever took was actually maybe the tenth photo that I ever took. Okay. So my very first camera was a a five by seven Cambo that I got back when I was in high school. Wow. The first photos that I took were at a a cemetery, but then I think the next photo that I took was a self-portrait and it's, you know, sort of like shoulders up and it's Mm -hmm. very, very blurry and underexposed. Um, and I've, (laughs) I've never printed it. Um, but I, but I discovered that maybe five years ago when I was looking back through those negatives that I haven't looked at in 20 years. I just kind of always taken self-portraits. You know, it was never really intentional of like, oh, I need to go out and shoot self-portraits. It was just the pictures that I, I sort of took just kind of organically in and around the, you know, quote unquote, intentional photos that I was making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A few years ago, I gave a talk at the Portland Photographers Forum. That was my my first talk that I ever gave for my my 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever. I put together this slideshow of, I think, like 250 photos, which is way too many. But uh, I kind of did uh, my entire you know career as a photographer. And everybody commented afterward of like, oh my goodness, you've taken so many self-portraits. You know, I love photo booths and mirrors and whatever. The first nude self-portrait that I took was maybe six or seven years ago. 
I took mm. a class called Ugly, Shocking, and Bizarre. It was a class to get photographers to push their boundaries and, and do new things. One of the assignments was to do, if I remember correctly, is to do a self-portrait where you didn't include yourself in the picture. And so I did that, but then I kind of took it further than that. And I did maybe a handful of four by five photos that were of me in my wedding dress from the first time that I got married. And then like me slowly stepping out of the dress and then I'm naked at the end. Mm -hmm. And and then I, th I think it was maybe two or three years after that before I took any more nude photos. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah, you know, it seems to me, I, at least for me, photographers seem to dislike being in front of the camera usually. So was was this something you ever like had to overcome uh, as far as like being comfortable enough to photograph yourself or how do you uh, really like show yourself in that way? You know, I, I feel like I've, I've never really liked other people to take my photo, but it's something entirely different when I'm the one taking my photo. Mm. And, uh, you know, I have a bunch of friends that are photographers and, and, uh, you know, they're, they're always kind of giving me a hard time of like when I'm like, oh, no, don't take my photo. And they're like, what do you mean don't take your photo? You know, it's, you, you put yourself naked out into the world. I can't it's take different. a picture of you, you know, at dinner. <laughs> and, and yeah, it, it is. You know, it's like I, I can. It's something very personal and very private that I have total control over. And then I can put out there what I want to. Whereas if somebody else takes my photo... I kind of don't have any control over it. Yeah. No. no, that absolutely makes sense. I guess I didn't really even think of it that way. At least for me, getting my, my photograph taken is can be really difficult because I just, I know how to talk to people and get them to photograph like comfortably. But when it's my turn, I'm like, like <laughs> you know, like they're like smile. I'm like, I can't do it. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So I think a lot of people who take self-portraits identify as women. That seems to be just sort of how it is. What is it about being female or being feminine or having the feminine experience that lends itself to taking self-portraits? I think that's a really, a really great question. Um, and I think that it has a bunch of different answers. Maybe the, the biggest answer is that for the last... 10,000 years, women have been being culturally evolved to wear makeup, do their hair and dress in a certain way. And, you know, so much importance has been put on women looking a certain way to be beautiful. And that being, you know, the, the bulk of our quote unquote worth to society. Men's attractiveness unfair, you know, very unfairly oftentimes has nothing to do with those same types of things that we, you know, evaluate women's quote unquote beauty by. Mm -hmm. And so I think that men don't feel as comfortable or as natural at making themselves be, you know, quote unquote, an object of beauty or an, an art object. Whereas for so many women, our physical appearance is 
such a huge part of who we are that making ourselves be, you know, the, the, the subject of our photography isn't that far out. Yeah. W- women's bodies are, you know, for, for so many people are considered, you know, more beautiful than men's bodies. You know, I've, I've heard so many times, oh, no, you know, nobody wants to see a, you know, a naked body with dangly bits. I think that nudes of men can be exceptionally beautiful. But I, I think that societally, we're just not conditioned to really think like that. But also, yeah. I, yeah. I, I think that that nude women can be considered quote unquote beautiful over a much larger variety of body shapes and sizes. Whereas for men, beautiful bodies primarily, you know, I mean, it's like nobody wants to see, you know, like a, an overweight guy, whereas an overweight woman that's naked is just, you know, considered Rubenesque or, you know, whatever. And so it's like, that's more acceptable, but for men, that's not acceptable, you know? No, it's, it's Burt Reynolds or nothing pretty much for us. (laughs) But, But then on the other hand, you know, men, men just become more distinguished, you know, as you, as you grow older and women just become hags. Right. So, um, so that's uh, true. Uh, Again, Burt Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so looking at your work, you can tell that you have a connection to, you know, the odd and surreal from your Instagram, you know, like if you use forced perspective, double exposure, layering and collaging to create pieces that are intriguing as they are disorienting. Did this connection exist prior to photography? I was always interested in let's say the occult. My mom's a hippie and, um, you know, we had tarot cards in the house when I was growing up. I liked scary movies and Edgar Allan Poe and, you know, things like that when I was younger. Um, I was always a huge fan of uh, Dali and Picasso. How did all of that come back into your photography? Because you you weren't doing that, but you're now a bit more surreal than you were. So where did that re-enter? So when uh, when I was in high school and I got my 5x7 camera and um, I went to this little tiny high school and we didn't have a photography class or anything like that. So I had to teach myself how to print and develop film, you know, just based on the instructions on the back of the Kodak chemicals in my bathroom at home. <laughs> And then I went off to college and could use the darkroom there. And then when I wasn't in college anymore, I had this, this big gap of um, maybe 13 years where I didn't have access to a darkroom. And so I didn't, didn't print anything at all. I guess it was maybe like six years ago. It was after that ugly, shocking, and bizarre class that I took. And I was really wanting to physically make photos, but I didn't have a darkroom. And so I started experimenting with uh, photo transfers, you know, just like inkjet photo transfers. I did a lot of cutting up of my photos and then of the inkjet prints and then doing the transfers of these, you know, cut up and sort of put back together. That was kind of the, the tipping point for me of really getting into this crazy kind of work like what I do now. Mm-hmm. Well, so you work with a variety of media, uh, media and processes. How long might it typically take you to finish a piece from concept to final print? Several years, sometimes. 
Okay. You know, I mean, sometimes I can, you know, shoot film and develop it and, you know, throw stuff together in a very short amount of time. But then other times, you know, I can get started on something and just get stuck on it and come back to it later and then have to come back to it later and come back, you know, come Mm -hmm. back to it multiple times before I figure out what I'm wanting to do with it. So some things are, you know, pretty quick and other things take a long time. Yeah. So on, you have, you have three Instagram accounts that, that I know of anyway. And (laughs) (laughs) I won't tell you how many I really have. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, if if you've got three, you've definitely got more than three. (laughs) So on the one that's five by seven angel underscore the built world, and that focuses on your architectural photography. Mm -hmm. So is this, this is where photo- photography started for you? It is, yeah. Um, so my high school that I went to uh, was very small. There were eight people in my graduating class. Instead of accumulating X number of credits in, you know, math, science, English, whatever, in order to graduate, we each had to do a dissertation project. And so at that point in my life, I thought I wanted to be an architect my dissertation project was a book that I wrote on the history of architecture in Portland. And so I, I thought that, you know, well, I can't have a book about architecture without photographs. Although I did end up going to architecture school and, and I have since learned that there are thousands of architecture books that not only have no photos, but they have no drawings and they're just text. So I was wrong. I didn't need photos, but um, uh, so I, I did a little bit of research on architectural photography and I learned that my two options were to either get a view camera or a 35 millimeter camera with a very expensive shift lens. A friend of mine happened to be in Philadelphia and he found um, this old 5x7 Cambo at an old camera store there. And it was very beat up, but it was $550 for the camera and the lens and um, nine film holders and eight milli- or 16 millimeter movie camera tripod that weighs a billion pounds. <laughs> and uh, so he called me up and he said, hey, do you, do you want this? And I, and, uh, I said, yeah. So he, I sent him the money and he sent me back the camera and, uh, I spent, uh, about a year and a half, uh, shooting lots of buildings in Portland. Uh, yeah. So architectural photography is, you know, how I got my start and I've kind of never stopped taking pictures of, of buildings. I mean, I'm, I'm not an architect, never going to be an architect, but I'm, very passionate about architecture. It's a big love of mine. So, I guess we have to we we have to address it. You were like a, a junior or a senior in high school who had a five by seven view <laughs> camera. True. That's that's not normal. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's pretty cool. I'll give you that. <laughs> Well, it was uh, it, it was an interesting way to get into photography. That's for sure. I, I've always been a very shy photographer, and so when you know when I was you know seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, and going to 
the camera store here in Portland, mm-hmm. you know, the, and there were these, you know, old guys that worked there and they were all kind of curmudgeonly, you know, looking back, I wonder, you know, what, what did they, what did they think about this, you know, this little girl that was coming in and, you know, ordering five by seven film and, you know, buying all these, these chemicals and stuff and nobody, nobody ever asked me. That's so weird. I, I like that drives wow. me insane. <laughs> Yes, yes. We have to ask, all all of your posts, for the most part, include poetry of some kind, Mm -hmm. often in the description, but you also have an account dedicated specifically to poetry. Can you explain how poetry and photography, they play well for you together? I started writing poems when I was like eight or nine. The poetry was always only ever something that I I just did for myself. Actually, when when I went back to college in 2020 was the first time that I ever took a poetry class. It was maybe only like three years ago that I started posting poems with the photos on Instagram. I think the first poems that I posted were actually not my own poems. I think that I found other people's poems that somehow felt like they belonged with my photos and I and I would post them. But then I started writing poems that were inspired by the photographs that I was mm-hmm. making. I think of the the photos and the poems as as being a diptych. Mm-hmm. When when I took that that poetry class a couple years ago, I learned about ekphrastic poems, which I don't know if you know what that is or not. But um, no. uh, so an ekphrastic poem is a poem that is written about a piece of art. Okay. which seems always seems like it's sort of or an explanatory poem that goes along with whatever the artwork is. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like that's what my poems are. They're definitely inspired by my photographs, but they're not meant to be an explanation of them. They're, you know, they're like two pieces of art that feed off of each other and go together but like the poem isn't intended to be the caption for the photo so every day on social media you're boosting the work of other artists though the works are often very different from each other uh, which themes or styles draw you to the work of others in the last couple of years i've seen a lot of videos of painters or drawers that they'll like recreate something and then like put it next to the actual thing and like you can't tell which one is the painting and which one is the actual tube of toothpaste or whatever and sure yeah i mean i'm i'm in awe at the ability to do that but it's kind of like the people that can build a ship inside a bottle you know it's like Mm-hmm. I'm I'm in awe at the ability to do that, but I have no desire to ever be able to do that myself. Yeah. I I feel yeah. like I would be totally bored out of my mind trying to do that and then I would be finished with it and I'd be like, so what? Um <laughs> and so, you know, I mean, no, you know, no disrespect or anything to to people that, you know, have have those skills. I, I you know, I think it's really impressive to be able to do that. It's just not at all something that appeals to me. Yeah, you don't want to piss off the ship in the bottom. Right, barrel. exactly. <laughs> exactly. For sure. They're going to come at me with the, you know, the, the, the little matchsticks that they've, they've carved into oh, yeah. swords and things. 
<laughs> Very serious. So I, I like it when an artist makes something that, you know, maybe isn't abstract, but it's also not very true to form for reality. You know, it's like, if I want to see reality, it's out there. I can, you know, just open my eyes and see it every day. I don't get the point in making art that is an accurate representation of what I see out in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, with, with photography, it's, you know, Oh, well, you're, you're taking a picture of, of what's there, you know, and it's an exact reproduction of what's there but but it, but it's not you know i mean it, it can be but it doesn't have to be i want to see in the art something that tells me about the person that made that art i don't want to just see a replica of of what i'm already seeing all right i guess that yeah i think up. so Cool. Thank you so well, much for fun. coming on. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Everybody, please, if you don't, uh, go go follow Five by Seven Angel. Really great stuff. Well, good night. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Good night. Night. Bye bye. Photography emerged and came into its own at a time when the roles for men and women in society were clearly defined. While men could pursue interests such as travel, hunting, and doing manly things, women were the keepers of the house, pure and delicate. Some women broke from these norms to become photographers, but they were rare, and usually the circumstance behind this opportunity involved being wealthy, or an eccentric, or a widow of a photographer, or sometimes all three. For women, this began to change in the 1870s. The suffragette movement had won for women the sense that men were more in the way than essential, though it had still not procured their right to vote. With the expansion of cities, the job market grew. And with more jobs than men to fill those jobs, women filled some of the positions. There were still gender norms, of course, but they were changing. What women could and couldn't do in society was shifting. Women were becoming independent. The new generation, especially those born following the Civil War in the 1860s, felt little need for the Victorian ways of their parents and grandparents. They came of age and into their 20s just as photography was about to make a dramatic shift from the stunningly complex to the simple. And it was gender norms that would actually carve out a large share of this new photography for women. When George Eastman introduced his Kodak camera in 1888, photography was large format cameras, toxic chemicals, beakers, and a wagon of cumbersome equipment. All very manly things. The Kodak box camera, with its advertising slogan, you press the button, we do the rest, was decidedly not masculine, and almost immediately, George Eastman turned to women to sell it. Less than a year after introducing the Kodak, Eastman turned to Kitty Kramer, a secretary for the company. Photographing her with a box camera in her hands, Kitty became Kodak's first sales model. As Eastman supposedly put it, a picture of a pretty girl sells more than a picture of a tree or a house. For the next few years, Eastman advertising campaigns were fairly standard and boring. The sales were fine, but he knew that something more was needed. He was revolutionizing photography, but photography needed new revolutionary photographers. 
And so he once again turned to women, society's natural born revolutionaries. The world was changing faster than ever before. And there was one place where all of these changes could be seen together. And that was the Chicago World's Fair of 1893. Eastman's first advertisement of this campaign depicted two, quote, Kodak girls at the World's Fair. These two women, both carrying Kodaks, were drawn, wandering into what appeared to be an unknown wilderness, with the World's Fair buildings behind them in the distance. Inside the fair itself, the two Kodak girls were decked out in the latest and much more practical travel fashion. Among the expanding social rights for women in the 1890s was their ability to travel and often without men. All through the Victorian era, women were seen as perpetually exhausted and lethargic. And because of this, the era was itself exhausting. People, but mostly women, were becoming fatigued by the myriad rules and etiquette of the Victorian era. It was now time for them to explore the world, largely denied to the women who came before them. For the majority of the Kodak Girl advertising campaign, the Kodak Girls were shown as youthful, happy, carefree, and always with a camera. Eastman had wanted to reinvent amateur photography, and if the men didn't care to join the 20th century, the women certainly leapt at the opportunity. These ads were targeted specifically towards women, running in fashion and travel magazines. The Kodak Girls were never depicted inside of a home, and never with a man even though the ads usually depicted them in situations more commonly visited by men. Men were simply just not part of their lives. Men had their own ads, and these usually depicted a very manly man taking a very manly photograph. Meanwhile, the Kodak Girls ads showed the women doing a wide variety of other things while carrying a camera, perhaps to shoot a snapshot or two if they liked. The lives of the Kodak girls were full of adventure and solo travel. She was outdoors. She was hiking, biking, canoeing. She was on a steamer. She was full of freedom. There was nothing for her to do but take pictures and enjoy her life as a woman. The Kodak girl was perpetually on vacation. This was their own version of van life, I guess. They were influencers, but both in front of and behind the camera. They were beautiful, yet innocent, fashionable, yet approachable, sophisticated, yet simple. Eastman wanted his ads to reach women, of course. They were his target audience, but he also wanted them to serve as eye candy for Randy men because, of course, he did. The Kodak girls immediately caught on. At the World's Fair, somewhere around 50,000 photographers visited Eastman's exposition, and a large percentage of them were women, cameras already in hand. Eastman's ads were revolutionary, but perhaps more so from within the advertising world. In the real world, women were already picking up cameras. Eastman was just depicting reality. And as time went on, as the Kodak Girl ads continued, more and more women were becoming photographers. But not everyone was on board with the Kodak Girls. For the older generation, the newly found independence, camera or not, was greatly frowned upon. These girls and their depictions in Eastman's ads were seen as risque. It wasn't their attire so much. That was actually a bit on the stuffy conservative side of things. But their behavior. Women since time immemorial have longed for independence. That was nothing new. What was new was that now they were finding it. And not just finding it, living it and documenting it. The Kodak girls were abandoning family life, leaving the domestic, and finding adventure, art, and friendship among other women. These women were single and seemed to have little need and zero desire for a man. This was seen as an existential threat to the male-centered culture. 
With Kodak's eye turned towards their women customers, the men felt uninvited. They wanted in on the action, but of course, they wanted almost nothing to do with the camera. The Kodak girls were sort of a sex symbol at the time. In the earliest mention that we can find in a newspaper, which is 1890, the Norristown Herald ran a short parody piece entitled, A Kodak Girl. Julia, queried her bashful love, why do you wear such a large button on your waist belt? You press the button, said Julia, who owns a Kodak, and I'll do the rest. Less crass and body, William Fale's poem, The Kodak Girl, still manages to wring a surprise amount of creepiness from his lines. She is delicate and sweet. She is pretty and petite. Her hair is either fluffy or in curl. And a man with any taste would go far to clasp her waist, while her dainty ankles make your senses whirl. When I see her calm and bland, with a Kodak in her hand, prepared to take a snapshot, sun or rain, my eyes have snapped her face in its witchery and grace, and have printed it in colors on my brain. How I hope that in her glee she has had a shot at me, with the Kodak which she carries in her hand, for I know my photograph in her eyes will loving laugh when she puts it on the mantle in a stand. Creepy adorations aside, not all men were taken by the Kodak girls, especially the trend of women photographers. One New York paper in 1891 dismissed them as simply a variety of the general species known as the summer girl, which is a vaguely derogatory term for girls on vacation. They referred to them as schemers and deceivers of local boys. In the end, however, the paper admits. But she is innocent, harmless, though she might make mischief and bring on suits for slander and even divorce by snapshot of what only are mere flirtations and all summer long derives pleasure for her and her friends from her Kodak. That same year, another New York paper, and this one from Yonkers, bemoaned, The Kodak girl seems ubiquitous. Her camera is poked and pointed at everything, and lovers have a hard time of getting out of her range. It matter little whether the subject be religious or romantic, or the spot sacred or very ordinary, the Kodak girl will be found around, adjusting her lens to a proper focus and taking in the sights. Perhaps in an attempt to protect the Kodak girls, Eastman kept the identities of their models a secret. When the name of one was thought to have been leaked, it made national news for weeks. In 1903, a St. Louis paper summed up the nation's obsession. Who is the Kodak girl? She is the best-known girl in America, yet nobody knows her. Her face and form are familiar to the people beyond the seas, but her identity is a mystery as deep as those same seas. Men love her and do not know where to seek her to tell her of their love. Women envy her and Fade would find fault with her. But it is the faultlessness of all they know of her which stirs their envy and they cannot find out what her faults are. The paper related how many men would write to the Kodak girl, addressing their letter simply to the Kodak girl, care of the Kodak company. Men have fallen in love with her pictures and, with a sort of hopeless hope, have written to the Kodak company requesting her identity. They would write poems and love letters, proposals of marriage, and offerings of their fortunes. Uh, uh, fucking men. 
<laughs> Kodak would always return the same reply that they really couldn't do anything to help their, their sad little lovesick minds. If these poor men could get nowhere with the Kodak girls, perhaps another company would suffice. After all, other companies soon followed Kodak's lead. Graflex, Ansco, Seneca, and others all had their own version of the Kodak girl. But none were as free and independent, as bold and fashionable as Kodak's. Kodak's advertisements and their depiction of the Kodak girl changed with the times and with the trends. As the hemlines of the skirts rose, so did the Kodak girls. As the sleeves around them tightened, so did the sleeves of the Kodak girls. And as the trends in body shapes slimmed, the Kodak girls were shown as slimmer with flatter chests and boyish looks, some with pixie cuts. Through all of this, the Kodak girls held on to their sense of adventure, their independence, and of course, their cameras. For the most part, the cameras advertised to women were whatever small cameras Kodak was releasing. Kodak had an ongoing line of cameras marketed largely to children, the Brownie, for example. But the cameras marketed to women were regular Kodak cameras. From the Kodak number 1 in 1888 to the autographic folder of the mid-20s, what Kodak marketed to women were cameras. Not special women's editions, not regular cameras with flowers and hearts pasted onto them, but the same box and folding cameras you see in antique stores today. But this could hardly last forever. That it went on for nearly 40 years is astounding, but it came to an end in the last years of the 1920s. And there were a few factors that saw to the demise of the Kodak Girl. When the Kodak Girl ad campaign started, fashion was modernizing into much like it is today. Victorian fashions were as much limited as they were limiting. The lack of mass production, as well as stringent Victorian social norms, barred women from fully expressing their individualities. The fashions of the 1880s and 90s flipped that on its head with an array of choices and styles to fit an ever-widening variety of personalities. The Kodak camera could fit itself perfectly within any of these styles. For a time, there wasn't a style to which Kodak couldn't be added. Through their multitude of dresses, skirts, and hats, a Kodak was always a smart and practical accessory. Before the Christmas season of 1927, Kodak made a bold decision. Rather than marketing a regular camera to women, as they had always done, they created and tried to sell the Vanity Kodak. The Vanity Kodak was just that, a Kodak camera combined with a vanity. These Art Deco pieces looked more like handbags than cameras, and they came in a variety of colors such as seagull gray, cockatoo green, red breast red, bluebird blue, and jenny wren brown. Alongside the camera was makeup. Lipstick case, compact, a mirror, and a change purse. Kodak's ads boasted, An utterly new version of the Kodak, Vanity Kodaks, have been especially created for young women. Dainty, colorful, smart. These chic accessories represent a rare combination of beauty and utility. Another reads, Vanity Kodaks achieve feminine smartness by the use of color and modern design that is entirely new in the world of Kodaks. They are swagger, aristocratic, with a rare combination of utility and grace. Each Vanity Kodak is designed to echo the color scheme of a particular costume. The case is correctly simple in contour, bearing no suggestion of fussiness, and the exquisite little Kodak within matches every detail the color of the case. The star of the show was, of course, the camera. Well, the co-star to the beautiful Kodak girl holding the vanity, of 
course. Vanity Kodaks were essentially a reskinned folding vest pocket Series 3 camera, which took the new and smaller 127 film. The shutter had a variety of speeds and a few aperture settings. What this handbag camera combination lacked was an audience. While handbags were all the rage in the mid to late 20s, Kodak's color offerings were weirdly limiting. Finding something to go with a cockatoo green vanity Kodak wasn't something one could pull off every day. This meant that the wearer had to buy all five varieties, or use one sparingly. Almost every Kodak girl chose the latter, effectively resigning from being Kodak girls. This resignation was en masse. Times had changed. The Great Depression was settling in. Frivolities like Vanity Kodaks couldn't sell. The cameras were skinned again and sold as the Kodak Petite, which is essentially the same camera in a few of the same colors, minus the makeup and handbag. But it was too late. With the death of the vanity, Kodak abandoned fashion as a marketing tool. In this, they largely abandoned women. The photography community followed swiftly. Kodak's ads now placed women with men, often in the house and almost always as a secondary character next to the leering husband. She may still have been the family photographer, but she was now overseen by the watchful eye of her man. Gone were the carefree days of the Kodak girls. They traded in their ornate and colorful cameras of leather and brass for cheap Bakelite and plastic. Just as they gave up the wind in their hair, their adventures and independence for a return to the Victorian gender norms that saturated the 1940s. It was, apparently, time to grow up. And now that you're an adult, you're boring. And we don't want to leave it at that. We want there to be a happy ending, but there really isn't. And while women continued on in photography, the industry essentially forgot them. No longer were they even seen as a potential customer. Cameras were marketed towards and for men. Even the cameras geared to the housewife and mother had to be marketed to men as most wives had no access to their husband's money. And even as women retook their independence through the 1960s and 70s, camera companies just really didn't bother with them. Same was true for the 80s and 90s, and now, 90 years later, not much in that regard has changed. For pretty much every episode, we like to dip into our mailbags and pull out a couple of zines that we've recently received and kind of talk to you about them a little bit here. And so, Vanya, you've got a zine for us to review. And actually, I have this as well. You and I both got lovely mail <laughs> these, these past few weeks. We actually have kind of a few zines that we need to get through. So if you don't hear yours on this episode, it hopefully will be the next one. I got three volumes of My Eye, Ooh. a magazine from David Fry. I connected with Volume 5 in a really amazing way. Honestly, one of the one of the best zines I've seen so far this year. So, oh, pretty good. happy about it. Yeah. So, David, like me and many of you, dove headfirst into photography during the pandemic. David showcases a variety of subjects, all shot with medium format film. As soon as you flip to the first page, you are graced with a 
large, very detailed black and white square image. Even with the lack of color, I found myself drifting into each and every one of the photos. The amount of detail found in the blades of grass, the gradient skies, bring you into his world. With a flip to the next section, I felt like Dorothy walking into Oz. I was trying to find the right words to describe them. I cannot. Film, maybe. (laughs) Film. (laughs) These images are familiar, lived in spaces with warm smiles of the people that take up space in the scenes. Somehow he has transported me into his realm with a very personal connection from his photographs. It's so inspiring, and it has lit a fire to make me want to create something. Just, he went big to showcase his work, and it was worth it. (laughs) Yeah. He really did it with these, and then the whole series of them that we've got, they're large. Yeah, so these are like, you know, regular magazine size. Um I, for some reason, thought magazine size would maybe be too big, but seeing how David has his layout has me second-guessing it completely. No, I think they're fine. I think it's a good size. Absolutely. And when I got mine in the mail, I, I pulled it out, and I was like, I thought this was like a professional like journal. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, this is, this is something. Why would I get this? Why would somebody send me this? <laughs> yeah. So my favorite chapter is the one dedicated to portraits, of of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. He decided to go biggest here, and I am all for it. It's basically full bleed, I think. Or maybe there might be a like, small, tiny white border, but these are pictures. Big pictures. <laughs> you can look at a portrait and envision who this person is. Personally, I think it says a lot about the photographer as well. David is obviously approachable and a likable guy. You can see that in the comfortability of his subjects. They radiate warmness and it shines through their eyes and smiles and and body language. Even the dudes in their cool glasses. (laughs) I highly recommend at least picking up one, if not all of these. They are quite inspiring. I think he did a really great job and I really appreciate him sending them. They're amazing. So thank you. Yeah. And I think you can pick them up. I think you might have to message him and that's Mm -hmm. at frymanbandgb. We'll have a link to that in our show notes. All right. What do you have for us? Well, I have a zine by George Griffin called Memento Mori, Nunhead Cemetery. Now, when I saw that, that meant absolutely nothing to me. That's changed now. (laughs) This is something that I did a kind of a deep dive on for my own personal edification, and I love it when I do that. One of the things that zines can do for you is they can allow you to learn about a place that you've never even heard of. George did that with Nunhead Cemetery. So apparently in the 1830s, London's population just exploded. With the influx of living people came an influx of dying people. It's just how it works. (laughs) Because of this, they built seven cemeteries called the Magnificent Seven. A little over 100 years later, Nunhead Cemetery was full. And then they closed it down and then abandoned it. And now it's kind of the ultimate testament to letting the dead bury the dead. So during the second lockdown, George wandered out to Nunhead, and he captured it. For those of us living in the United States, it's impossible to really convey what the, what this kind of cemetery looks like. I guess it's it most reminds me of like the New England cemeteries, 
But it's still a little different. Actually, a little younger than some of the New England cemeteries, but still, still different. In the zine, George's photograph gravestones in, in all states of disarray. There is overgrowth and stones knocked over by vandals and entropy. In, in some, trees have grown up around the stones, kind of enveloping them in the roots. Some angels are beheaded, some crosses are leaned against their bases, and seemingly all but a few are, are kind of just forgotten. There are a couple of short written pieces where George explains a little of the history of the cemetery. In a zine like this, that's kind of essential. It's a real weird niche place. So that's obviously essential. Sounds like 14-year-old Vanya's goth fantasy right now. Well, that's the <laughs> I'm thing. just thinking like, this sounds amazing. When are we going? <laughs> a lot of cemetery, well, a lot of pictures of cemeteries can get kind of eh, cliche gothic. And this doesn't. This is a different style. It's still black and white. So it doesn't come off like you listen to too much Bauhaus. So Memento Mori is a half-size zine, and it's all black and white, like I said, and it sells for, <laughs> get this, $7 on Etsy. It nice. ships from the UK. Uh, so if you're in the States, it'll cost you only $11 total with shipping. Wow. I'm, that's not bad. And that's amazing. I'm shocked at how cheap it is and how cheap it is i'm shocked by both of those things yeah it's a great zine you should get one everybody listening should get one i don't know how many actually i do know there's not that many more left so if you're going to get these hop on it because you really should see this it's a it's a great little zine and we'll have the link in the show notes great title too memento mori All Through Our Lens is brought to you by our lovely Patreon subscribers. Patreon helps us pay for hosting, books, our newspaper.com account for research and other things, of course. Audio equipment, like this fucking mic, because remember, the other one's in coffee. Rest in peace. We would like to thank our subscribers for their support. We definitely couldn't do it without you. It would be stupid to do this without you guys. So if you like bonus episodes, full-length interviews, like the full-length interview with Angel is, it's sprawling and fucking fun. Editing it down was sad because I had to Aww. cut out so much fun stuff. So if you want the extra length, you know, the full-length interviews and a bunch of extra nonsense, you can become a Patreon subscriber. We have a lot of bonus content up there and we add new things pretty much every episode. That's great. So we've got three different levels of support with the cheapest being less than a buck an episode. So why don't you head over to patreon.com slash lens for more info. Hey, Eric. What, Vanya? What does your next week look like? Film photography. <laughs> really? Film what? I can't talk today. Like, what does your next week look like? Film, photographically speaking, of course. Okay. So, I know, I fucking know, and I am so sorry that I have been saying and talking about this for literally three, four episodes, but I Months. think- <laughs> I think my new zine will finally be out. There's been some production, let's just call them issues. The Patreon supporters have gotten their copies by now, hopefully. And it's a long story that doesn't really need to be told. So it should happen soon, I hope. Hey, this is a rare appearance of future Eric in a main episode. I'm just busting on in here, letting you know that the new issue is actually out now. And you are more than welcome to pick it up. The link will be in the show notes. So that, that's what I'm doing next week is hoping. 
However, I do have a recommendation, and I'd like to start doing recommendations. Ooh, homework, you guys. There is a YouTube person. I don't know what what do they call themselves. YouTube account YouTubers channel YouTuber a YouTuber. They, is that like like a fucking potato? <gasps> yes. Okay. Well, there's a potato on YouTube. <laughs> Who goes by the account is Technology Connections, and I'm sure some of you know who this is. But he did a video called Brown, Color is Weird. If you really want to get a good idea of how our brains work with color and how our brains actually invent some colors, including brown. Fascinating thing about brown is that it's a color that exists due to context, not wavelength. Watch this. It's about 20 minutes long. It's incredibly interesting. He's an incredible communicator, but he also has a bit of film photography content. So um, check that out, I I guess, if you want to. Uh, Also, a great video about toasters. Actually, several great videos about toasters. But in this case, I'm recommending brown. Color is weird. Taste the brown. (laughs) Wonderful. It's true. So how about you? What have you got going on next week? Well... That is a uh, a very good question. Well, it should be. It's when we ask literally every episode. <laughs> I have some things in the mix. I don't really want to say anything about it just yet. I have to um, kind of figure out how it's going to go. But Okay. Uh, Do I get to know about this? Like off you, mic you, Yeah, you know about it. Oh. Yeah, you're right. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. He... Does not pay attention for shit, you guys. What? <laughs> Go on. I've been printing a lot, mostly because my dark room might be evicted from my driveway. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. It sucks. It might have to go to the shop. We have like a plumbing shop, so it'll go in there. And it'll be nice because it'll stay out of the weather. I could wash it and it'll stay nicer. But I just, it's just so nice to just have it out there. <laughs> and I, I want to keep it here. I just want a dark room here, not there. Uh, so, yeah, I'll probably have to move my dark room. And um, so I'm just... I've kind of just been in there a lot printing. Uh, I promised somebody a couple prints, so I'm just trying to get them right. And it seems like every single print I do is a speck of lint or dust on it. And I'm like, it's ruined. (laughs) It's not perfect. I am (laughs) insane. Dealing with dust, dealing with my darkroom, and hopefully getting uh, to play some tapes in my Volvo. I hope hope you do. I really do. Well, that's um, about it for this episode. So tune in next week for our dev party, and we'll be we'll be doing. Oh, fuck, Vanya. What are, what are we doing? <laughs> We're doing fucking capital. Finally, you guys. It's taken two. Like, okay, you know, if you've been here as long as I have, <laughs> you know, I've been bugging him about capital. So yes, fill up your coffees, your iced hot whatever you want to do. Get your espresso or your lattes, and let's get a rolling because yeah. we are going to develop. Yeah, I in guess. coffee. So we will be doing caffeinol. I am. I am extremely excited about this. I promise you. Is there anything else you have to tell us, Vanya? Yes. 
Thank you for listening to All Through a Lens. If you'd like to contact us, we're at allthroughalens.podcast on Instagram. By email, it's allthroughalens.podcast at gmail. And we're at allthroughalens on Twitter, I guess. We're also kind of, kind of on TikTok occasionally. <laughs> kind of working that out. We'll see how it goes. You could also check out our amazing show notes on allthroughalens.com. Vanya is at Surf Martian. And Eric is at conspiracy.of.cartographers. Both on Instagram. Oh, and speaking of Instagram, make sure to hashtag your stuff, hashtag all through a lens podcast to be featured. We're doing that quite a bit lately. We also do a Spotify. Ooh, we don't. This is a lie. But we should do a Spotify playlist for this episode. Uh, And you can check that out at Spotify. Just search all through a lens and it'll be the blue logo. You can also find our episodes on Spotify as well as on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and wherever the hell else you find your podcasts. Subscribe and leave us a review. The music you're hearing now is from Last Regiment of Syncopated Drummers, which you can find at lastregiment.com. And thank you all so much for listening. We love you. See you next week at Dev Party. Um, Vanya. Yes? Do you want to go out and shoot? Fuck yeah, I do. <gasps> Let's go! I don't know why I'm smiling and happy, but the word demise is awesome. <laughs>